0: in our life, and and they're going to be summarized in one little verse we're going to look at here today that I hope will um, not only be easy for you to remember and take with you, but I hope it will be encouraging to you regardless of where you come at here today. You see, what happens in life is that we oftentimes quickly forget the most important things. And as illustrated by this this silly little story, um, there was a popular motivational speaker who was once entertaining his audience, and he he thought he would use a little humor. And so he he said this story, "...that the best years of my life were spent in the arms of a woman who wasn't my wife." To which the crowd was kind of shocked by that statement. They began to look around in the pause that he gave afterwards. And, And then he added, "...and that woman was my mother." And so the crowd all laughed and, and they thought that's just humorous and what a witty man this is. And one of the guys in the audience was listening to this story and and he was taking notes because he knew he had a meeting coming up in a few weeks. And so that'll fit well with my story. And so uh, so he wrote, d- jotted down his notes and, and got up to speak before his people a few weeks later. And, and uh, he was a little foggy that day. And, and he stood before his crowd and said, Look, the greatest years of my life were spent in the arms of a woman who was not my wife. And to which his people kind of did the same thing, kind of paused and looked around and kind of wondered, Where's he going? Going with this thought. And then um, his wife, who happened to be sitting there, was getting very red in the face as well. And, and um, he stood there for like 20 seconds and didn't say anything. And, and the crowds were just beginning to get very nervous. And, and uh, realizing he, he finally fed, said this, and I cannot remember who it, in the world it was either. And so, uh, and so it's important to remember details because when you forget other people, when you forget things, that tends to be one of those times when we find ourselves in trouble. And so when we come to today, I hope that an empty tomb and thinking about Christ and what he has done for us through his resurrection is a reminder, is one of those things that reminds you of, of who you are is the question that we really want to wrestle with today. It's, the, it's that question of who am I? All of us are on a search for that answer. And the resurrection speaks loudly and clearly into your life when you trust in Christ that there is a clear answer that we're going to get to here in a, a moment. And, and so I share this shirt today, and I bring it on purpose, because the last few weeks this question has been kind of rattling around through some experiences that I have, have had. A couple of Wednesday nights ago in our Peak of the Week lesson, Uh, we were just going through the verse that we were gonna look at here today and and the lesson material we, we were using highlighted the idea that a good leader reminds his people on a regular basis of who they are. And so that was cool. That was a good lesson. And and uh, the next night, that was Wednesday, Thursday night, I went to our last uh, Mustang, Eldon Mustangs track meet, home track meet of the year. And the girls' track team has a little tradition after the last track meet of the year, where after everybody's gone, the crowd's gone, the, everybody's gone except for the team and the few, f- f- few family members. And uh, and so the team are, is led out to the middle of the football team field by the coaches and. And all the team sits in a circle except the seniors who sit in the middle of the circle. And I'd heard about this experience before, but I'd never seen it with my eyes. And, and, I, and since I have a senior daughter, I got to watch it and it play out from that perspective. Um, and each of, the coaches had a sh- or each of the coaches had picked out a, a shirt for each of the senior girls. I think there were seven or eight of them that night. And, and individually, they would have them stand and they would say, who am I? And they would name the students and they would begin to list specific qualities that, that each of the coaches had highlighted that says, this is who you are. You are are this, and you're a good teammate, and you're a good leader. You you see people's needs. You help people. You are. And, And it's a powerful moment just illustrating exactly what we're going to look at today, that there is great power when we are reminded who we are. And as a dad, it was fun to watch, not just my daughter, but all of the daughters who were there, all of the girls that were there. They were just spoken words of... Hey, you are valuable. You mean a lot to us. We appreciate you. This is where you contribute well. And just reminding them, this is who I am, and that I make a difference. There's power in that. And I think the little verse that we're going to look at from Jude uh, 1, the first verse of the letter, is, is helpful to us today. And I hope that it has that, that feeling and that work in your life today as we look at it, um, because I just want us to think today on this Resurrection Sunday, um, who am I? according to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see, I have a goal today. I would just simply like to do one thing that maybe takes two different paths. One thing is this. I just want you today to be reminded, if you are a Christian, I want you to be reminded of who you are because of what Christ has done through his life, his death, his resurrection, and what that's doing in your life, where that takes you and what that makes you. And I think just looking at the beauty of that, I hope that will encourage you. And maybe you've come here today and, and maybe someone just drug you here today and we're glad you're here regardless of how you're here. But I also hope that if you haven't ever made that commitment to Christ, that we could show the potential of what that could be and that becomes something attractive to you and that you could answer the question, who am I, through the lens and through the help of the resurrection of Jesus as well. And so let's look at Jude uh, chapter one. There's only one chapter in the book, actually, Jude one. And I just want to read one verse. Uh, Again, Jude is kind of a weird book, but I love the first verse or two of this book and the last few verses of this book because of what they say. But listen to what Jude said. It's a little bitty book. It lives at the end of your Bible, uh, right before the book of Revelation. There's this little one page little book maybe you'll find there. And Jude says this, and then I'll show you why I'm going to read this for you in just a second. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who have been called, who are loved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. And there's much more he goes on to say. But that verse, in a simple way, I think helps us to answer the question, who am I? Who am I today? As I stand here, as I sit here in this room, who am I? What an awesome way to be described by someone. If someone is to come to you and say, hey, man, you are are loved and you are called and you are kept and you are held tightly and that's a good thing to be spoken of that, that's what you are. And so today, um, I know every time a sermon starts that the people listening are in their minds counting down to the end of the sermon. And so I've made it easy for you today. We're gonna count down three, two, one to the end of this, okay? And so when it gets to one, you're gonna know he's almost done, okay? And so uh, we're gonna count down here. We're gonna look at three uh, words. We're gonna look at two names and one decision. And and by the end of that, I hope that this verse just helps us to think about, you know what, who am I? And I wanna walk out here today saying this this is who I am in Jesus Christ, okay? And so three words, let's start there. Three words that describe who a Christian is, three words that describe what a Christ follower is, what it means to be a Christ follower. I think the, the Jude's words could not have been more wisely chosen, inspired, led to be said, whatever they are, because those are powerful words. They are words that talk about our our past. They're words that talk about our present. They're words that talk about our future. And so just think of the three words that I've highlighted there. And just think of what it means that that when I'm a follower of Jesus, this is who the Bible says I am. It, It says that I am called, to be called is, is, is kind of a nice thing, right? To be, to be seen out of the crowd, to be called, to be invited. It's a word that implies that God took initiative and God stepped into someone's life and issued an invitation for them to come and, and to know him. To serve him, to enjoy him, to be used by him, to glorify his name in the world. It's a word that goes back to Abraham, if beginning of your Bible. Abraham's just minding his own business. He's a businessman in, in the little country of Ur, and uh, city of Ur, and he, he lives there and he's doing fine. But God intervenes in his life. God intervenes in his life and calls him and, and he invites him to come know me and, and serve me and, and enjoy me and, and be blessed by me. And Let me use your life to glorify my name in the world. And so he does that with Israel. Jesus comes on the scene and he he invites people. He sees people and invites them to come. They are called through his invitation to follow him. And so we are called into something bigger than us. And so that's a beautiful feeling just to live your life from the inside out, knowing. I'm a part of something bigger than me. This isn't about me trying to manufacture meaning. God already provides that through the calling on our life. And all of us are called through the gospel to come and to know God, to serve God, to enjoy God, and to make him known. But not only are we called, but we are also loved. What a beautiful word, right? All of us are always, from the youngest parts of our life to the oldest parts, we hunger to be loved and what does Jude remind us that in Christ, because of what Christ has done through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, what's his, he, what's his grand statement over your life is that you are loved. What a beautiful picture that is of our life. It's very much an identity term because we hunger to know that in so many ways. And so throughout life, we, we're looking to see, does somebody love me? No matter where I go, I'm looking to see, does somebody care? Does somebody love me? Um, a couple of weeks ago, one of the big news stories of the, uh, of, around our country was the, was the 23-year-old guy who showed up and he claimed to be a young man who had been abducted like when he was six, right? So he would have been like a teenager, but uh, that kind of made big news stories that he just walked out of the woods into a neighborhood and claimed to be this young man who had been abducted and been missing for like seven years, and the news first was, what a happy thing, this kid has just wandered, got escaped from whoever was holding him captive, and it's a happy thing, but then as, as the police began to investigate, they realized that this guy was, was a 23-year-old guy who'd, who'd seen the story on the news and, and was impersonating that. He was, of course, arrested and charges had been filed against him, rightly so, for the pain he caused and the false police reports and all those kind of things that he has gone through. But as I was reading an article, article trying to figure out why would this guy do this, why would, why would Someone do this? Why would you inflict that much pain into the life of another family? And why would you do that? Um, The young man who had been kidnapped um, was named Timothy. Um, And the guy he was impersonating said this. And in the course, I had to read the the paragraph three times when I was reading this article on Yahoo. It said this that when questioned further, Rini, who was the 23 year old guy impersonator, stated that he wished he had a father like Timothy's because if he went missing, his father would just keep drinking. I had to read that again. If if Rene stated that he wished he had a father like Timothy, a father who for six, seven years has not stopped looking for his missing son because if he went missing, his dad would just keep drinking. That's a cry for love. That's a cry to say, someone notice me and, and love me, pursue me. And so what is the beauty of the gospel? The beauty of the gospel and the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus is that we are loved Period. End of sentence. No need to doubt. No need to question because that cross always stands as a reminder of I am loved. The world may reject me. The world may not understand me. But in Christ I am loved in God the Father. And so I am called into something grand and beautiful. I am loved. And I am number three. The third word is kept. What a neat word that is. Of all the words, I, I just love that one. That's my favorite one. That's the one that means he's holding on to you right now. And that may be good news for you today because you may walk in here today and your world's a little upside down and you don't feel like anybody's holding on to you very tightly. You may be going through health things or through financial things or relational things or just life things and you're just thinking, man, does anybody, is anybody holding on? Does anybody got the wheel here in my life? And what a beautiful word that is, that we are kept for Jesus Christ. Now yesterday, Tessa did a wonderful job organizing our, uh, our activities for yesterday for Easter egg hunt and the, and the activities that took place before it. And my favorite activity of the day was the egg drop. Um, The others were cool, but there was an egg drive. So we had a station up on top of the balcony, and we gave kids, elementary kids and preschool kids, a little egg, and we gave them all kinds of balloons and padding and all kinds of stuff and asked them to to make some kind of protection around the egg so that if they drop it off the balcony onto the floor, it would protect the egg. And you can tell I still have the sound of the breaking eggs in my head today because not many of them survive. There was a moment of silence yesterday because there was many lay eggs many eggs, who lost their life in the pursuit of our fun and adventures yesterday, um, but there was a few that did it, and there was a picture I just happened to snap, when I was looking through it last night, and and I thought, this illustrates what it means to be kept. I think this is Cooper Tolson. Cooper, raise your hand here. Yeah, Give a shout out to Cooper. All right, Cooper, um, I didn't ask his permission, so I owe him a few bucks for using his image or something here, I think, uh, but Cooper built that, right, and inside those balloons is a bag with, I don't know what else. He had all kinds of squishy soft things in there that was holding that egg and then there was balloons put around it and then tape around that there's like four or five layers that when he dropped it 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 protected that it kept the egg now if you were to ask the egg we didn't ask the egg but if you were to ask the egg what's it like to be dropped from the balcony onto the gym floor I'm sure the egg would say that's that's terrifying I'm sure there's an egg pun in there somewhere but uh, but that's terrifying to be dropped the drop was scary but he was protected in the landing And he's okay, so we can take happy pictures later, okay? That's the image, that when the Bible talks about you are kept for Jesus Christ, that's what he is looking at, okay? So those three words, when we ask the question, who am I in Christ? Not because I'm perfect, not because I've got my act together, but in Jesus, I am called, I am loved, and I am kept, those three words are beautiful words, and I hope they stick with you this week as you go through the ups and downs of your life and your week, and, and if you are not a follower of Jesus, that you would realize, hey, this is what I could be from the inside out if I am his. And so, in the end of the lesson a couple weeks ago, when we were talking about Jude, I loved what Michael DeFazio said when he said that the church is a people whose fortunes are governed by God, and just make that more, more singular, that, that, uh, that you as a follower of Jesus are a person whose fortunes are governed by God. I just like that phrase, that God is in control, God is watching. Those three words, all right, let's do our countdown. Three words that just describe this, okay? Now, let's get to number two here, and we'll do this a little quicker. Two names that simply illustrate the journey there, because those are fine words for Jude to write, and we don't know who Jude is all that much. You may be thinking, well, Jude's just some guy. I'm sure life is good for him. It's easy for him to say that that, that life, his life is called and, and uh and loved and kept. And I'm sure his life is fine. But my life is harder to do this. So how do you get there? How do you get to that place where you're living out of that truth in your life? Well, it's the two names that I want to use to illustrate here. You'll see Jude and the name James. Those are not words that you probably have. Thought up in the middle of the night thinking, I wonder who Jude was. I wonder how James came into the story. But these are brothers, as you see in the text. They are brothers, but they also have another um, brotherly connection to one person named Jesus Christ. When Jesus lived, he was a half-brother to Jude and James, uh, came along after Jesus was born and was doing his his things. Um, There's a whole list of other siblings that came along, the Bible says. Um, But as they lived and as they worked out their life, the story with Jude and James and Jesus doesn't have a real happy beginning. And I don't know what it would be like if you're home, if one of your siblings um, decided, "You know what? I think I'm someone really special." I think I could be the Messiah. I think I could be some, I could save the world through my life. And so they began to leave your home. They began to go out in the neighborhood and the communities and go to the McDonald's and go all the places and think, hey, uh, this, you need to listen to me. I'm someone special. Right? What do you, as a brother, you're thinking, okay. Uh, old Jesus over here thinks he's a little full of himself. He's got a Messiah complex, literally. And he, uh, he thinks he's all that. And so they began with a great deal of unbelieving skepticism. They did not believe in Jesus. In fact, as you read the story a couple different times, you find that, that they, they kind of make fun of Jesus. They think he's crazy. Mark chapter 3, verse 20 says this, Then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered. And so he and his disciples were not, able, even, even, not even able to eat. And when his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him. In other words, they went to get him and bring him home because they thought he is out of his mind. All right, you're crazy, Jesus. All this stuff you're talking about, all these claims you're making you are a lunatic. You need to come home. You're embarrassing us, right? They didn't believe in Jesus at the beginning. John chapter 7, you find another example. After this, Jesus went around in Galilee, which is north of Jerusalem, of the promised land of Palestine today. He did not want to go about in Judea, which was more south, more religious capitals of the world, because the Jewish leaders there were looking for a way to kill him. But when the Jewish festival of the tabernacles was near, which took place in Jerusalem, Jesus' brothers said to him, this would have been Jude, this would have been James. Well, Jesus, why don't you, Leave Galilee, go to Judea, so that your disciples there may see the works that you do. In other words, go show off down there, if you would. If you're really all this, go down there where all the powers that be are, are one to, to kill you. Go down there. No one wants to become a public figure 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 who acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world, for even his own brothers did not believe in Jesus. Okay? So they started off with this skepticism of him. And yet we have to ask the question, how do we get then to the place where Jude later would write that in Jesus we are called, we are loved, and we are kept? He's using the word Lord several times throughout his letter. How does it go from, I don't believe at all in who my brother is, to this guy is Lord and I will live my life for him? How do you make that change? Well, I think it happens when there's an unexplainable shift. Actually, it is explainable only by one thing. What is it that took people like Jude, people like James, people like the disciples who, who really saw Jesus and when Jesus died, they thought it was done. They thought the story was over. They weren't planning for the next stage, the next phase. They thought it was just done they, because it was, it was over. Um, I don't know, if you, if you live in Eldon here this last couple of weeks, you know that the town has been gold egg frenzied out, right? If you're an Eldon resident, you know that our, our wonderful Parks and Rec Department has hidden, started off with a little egg for a few days. That was fun. It was found quickly over with. But for the last eight, nine, ten days, there's been this golden egg hidden in one of our beautiful parks here in town that uh, every day, like millionaires were calling and saying, hey, I'll add another million to the pot. So I don't know how much money ended up being attached to this egg, but it was several thousand dollars or more. Uh, of money, And so everybody in Eldon was just looking for this golden egg. And uh, finally, on Friday, I thought, we're either going to have riots or we're going to find the egg. I don't know what's going to happen. We've we got to find this egg. And so I had some back issues Friday morning, and so I was not really with it, but I, I knew that the, the egg was just right over here at Apperson Fields, I believe is where it was found, being found. And so I drove by there on the way home to get some medicine and grab a few things I'd left at home. And it was just packed. The parking lot was full. I went home, and I came back. And I got to the stoplight over there by the donut shop, um, and the line of traffic was just crazy. I had to wait like two cycles to the light for, that, for people to finally get through there before I could turn left. And I thought, they must have found the egg, because you could see the tears just streaming down the eyes and the cheeks of people as they were leaving, not having found the egg. All right? And so all the sad people went home, and that's exactly what happened when Jesus died. All the sad people went home, and they thought, well, what do we do now? He's dead, he's gone. What are we supposed to do with our lives now? But there's this unexplainable shift that takes place because of what 1 Corinthians chapter 15 talks about, that he who was alive and dead this happens. He goes on in verse one. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you have received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. Here's the heart of everything Paul preached, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scripture. Now that's a bold claim, that someone dies and comes back to life again. And then he appears to people. All these people who had put an a end of the story, the end, Jesus is dead. He begins to appear to them. He appears to Cephas and then to the twelve. Goes on to say, after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James. There's our guy, right? Jude and James, one of his brothers, he appears to him, then to all the apostles, and then, other, and then to Paul himself. And so what happens is this unexplainable shift takes place that, that something dramatic happened in history. That changed these skeptical people, these depressed, defeated, discouraged, the end of the story people. All of a sudden they became alive with this energy, with this passion that they had to go do something with what they had seen. And so they, they moved finally to this thir- third thing I would show you is this simply idea of this unwavering spokesman. They became unwavering spokesmen for, for, for the resurrection of Jesus now you think, well, I'm sure there was profit to be gained from, and I'm sure it was an easier life. Well, I love this quote from Charles Colson. It's been floating around Facebook the last few weeks. If just wherever I was reminded of it. Um, it, it Charles Colson was once uh, one of President Nixon's closest men was arrested in the whole Watergate scandal um, and went to prison for it. And he became a Christian in his time in prison. And he said this, that I know the resurrection is a fact, and Watergate proved it to me. How? Because 12 men testified they had seen Jesus raised from the dead and they proclaimed that truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Every one of them was beaten, tortured, stoned, and put in prison. They would have not endured that if it wasn't true. Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world and they couldn't keep a lie for three weeks. (laughs) You're telling me that 12 apostles could keep a lie for 40 years It's absolutely impossible. So there's this change. Where does this life of being called and loved and kept come from? It comes from this connection to a living Jesus Christ who lives within us, who guides us, who is our life and our hope and our purpose and our peace. And so Jude and James, the two men, listen in this verse, they experienced that. And so why does Jude write the three words he writes? Because he had experienced this risen Jesus And that leads us to the final thing here, okay? If you're counting down, it's three, two, one. Here's the last thing I want you to see. It was one decision that Jude made that changed everything about his life. It was one decision. And it's that little word that I I highlighted there. He became a servant of Jesus Christ. What does that little phrase mean? The idea of being a servant is not a, a forced slavery in this text, it's more of a, of a bond servant. It's a person who sees the realities of life. You know what? There's this guy named Jesus. I used to know him as my brother, but now I know him as a risen Lord. And forget the brother thing. I see him for who he really is. And he lives, and he's greater. He, he is resurrected. He is Lord of all things. He has proven that, Lord of even death. And so there's no one greater in my life, so I will willingly put my life in position of servitude to him. I will become the servant and I will allow my, my former brother to be my master because he is greater than me. But it wasn't done again begrudgingly. It was done with joy. Where else am I going to find someone who could live, predict his death, die, and then rise again? Where else will you find someone like that? that one decision to make himself in a position of servant to Jesus Christ changed everything for Jude and for James and for all of those apostles and for millions of people since. Because it really puts us in a place to say, you know what, Jesus, you are Lord. I will be your servant. And so here I am. Lead me, change me, use my life. If my life has to suffer, I'm glad to do that because you suffered for me. Uh, Just here I am, I am your servant. Just take my life. And fill it, use it, renew it, and use it as a light for the world. And so people like Jude, people like James began to live with this confidence and this clarity and this commitment and this compassion that they had never been known for because of this resurrected Jesus at work in their life. But it all began when they said, you know what? Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Master, and so here I am whatever you say, I'll do. Wherever you lead, I'll follow. I am yours. And that's the decision that all of us are invited to consider. That's where that whole calling word starts. He says, hey, I've shown you my, my greatness. I've shown you my lordship through my resurrection. And so come and follow me. And so the greatness of Jesus is what fills us with that. Because if I was to say, hey, you're called and loved and kept, but I was to base it to something in this world, that's just flimsy. That won't last. But if I was to say, you're called and you're loved and you're kept, and the way I can prove it to you, the way you can have assurance of it, is that there's this risen Jesus who nothing in all of the the chaos of the world can even touch anymore, and you're anchored to that, then you can face your hardest days and still know know you're called and you're loved and you're kept by this Jesus. I want to show you a picture. I love this story. I heard a few weeks ago as well. Um, This is uh, Walt Disney. Some of you recognize that. That's his daughter, Diane. And when Diane died a few years ago in her obituary, they told the story that the the Disneys worked very diligently to keep her life pretty normal. Kind of shelter her and hide her from all of the, the hubbub and greatness that was Walt Disney. And so she was at school, and her friends began to, uh, to say, hey, your dad is Walt Disney, right? And she said, well, he's just my dad. And so she went home, and she said, are you Walt Disney? And he said, yeah, my name is Walt Disney. And she said, no, are you Walt Disney? He said, yeah, well, yeah, I'm Walt Disney. She said, no, 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 are you the Walt Disney? He said, well, yes, I am the Walt Disney. She said, well, can I have your autograph, please? I said, You're important now. There's a, there's a greatness That was in her mind, she walked away thinking, my dad was always my dad, but look how much greater he is now. And that's kind of the shift that takes place in Jude and James and Peter and the other apostles and the hundreds of people who saw the risen Jesus who said, man, we knew Jesus was great before, but now look how great he is. And so the invitation for us today is simply this. If you are a Christian, I will just simply ask you the question, who are you? Who am I? You have to wrestle with that every day. If Jesus is Lord of your life already, don't ever live as if he's not. Live always as if you are called and you are loved and you are kept no matter what comes your way. And if you're not a Christian today, if you're not a follower of Jesus, I pray that the beauty of that life, the beauty of what could be in your life is what begins you to cause you to stop and to think and realize, man, my life could be different. My life could be better. I could have that peace and that love and that purpose and that um, perspective, that solid rock thing in my life that, that would be helpful to me? And maybe you begin to ask questions. Maybe you begin to reach out and, and make some steps towards this Jesus. And so we're going to, to pray here. Uh, we have a cool thing we're gonna end our service with in just a second. But we're gonna worship and we're also going to, to celebrate uh, Christ's grace in, in, a, in a person's life here in just a moment. But as we sing here, I just want you to stop and think, no matter where this lands in you, I just pray that you know how much you are called That you were loved and that you were kept in the resurrected Jesus. Let's stand together and let's pray here as we finish.